2: This week in the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt, brought you in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. This week, President Biden tries again to shift the narrative as the election approaches and the red wave grows bigger. Majority of Americans
3: believe our democracy is at risk, that our democracy is under threat.
2: Indiana Congressman Jim Banks gives us a look at the election ahead. The momentum excitement and the grassroots
4: support, it clearly tilts in the Republican favor.
2: Senate races to watch. General Don Boldock challenges Maggie Hassan in New Hampshire. Everybody's talking about it except for Senator
5: Hassan. And Herschel Walker finishes strong in Georgia. I think we can get Senator Warnock out of that office. I think he's shown that he don't deserve to be there. Plus. Can a
2: Republican win statewide in California? Lonnie Chen for state controller. We need
6: to be providing Californians with strong transparency into where every dollar is spent.
2: Catch my program each weekday morning live from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time and on demand 24-7. Learn more at HughHewitt.com. And follow me, please, on Twitter at Hugh Hewitt. Follow this program as well at Town Hall Review. If you're a regular listener to Town Hall Review, or if you're a regular listener to my program Monday through Friday, you know what's on our mind, the 2022 midterm election coming up Tuesday. The electorate is marked by angst over inflation that many of them have not seen in their lifetime. Crime, education, fentanyl, homelessness, the prospects of a recession. They have this politically toxic mix for Democrats. The president is feeling the heat, and he made a second last-minute address to the nation on Wednesday night, without the red lights this time. I know there's a lot at stake in
3: these midterm elections, from our economy, to the safety of our streets, to our personal freedoms, the future of healthcare, Social Security, Medicare. It's all important. But we'll have our differences. We'll have our difference of opinion. But there's something else at stake. Democracy itself. I'm not the only one who sees it. Recent polls have shown that overwhelming majority of Americans believe our democracy is at risk, that our democracy is under threat. They, too, see that democracy is on the ballot this year, and they're deeply
2: concerned about it. The president went with a dark theme anyway, and we saw in his earlier speech from Independence Hall.
3: MAGA Republicans do not respect the Constitution. They do not believe in the rule of law. They do not recognize the will of the people. They promote authoritarian leaders, and they fan the flames of political violence.
2: I turned to a GOP leader to watch. Indiana Congressman Jim Banks who has been serving as chairman of the Republican Study Committee. I want to talk to you about the last 96 hours of a campaign. People don't understand there's a science to this. Bill Owen, back in Colorado, when he was governor of Colorado, started the 96-hour project. That's when he named me Warden of the Collegiate Peaks. And they had a methodical approach to the last 96 hours of a campaign, which begins tomorrow. Uh, 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 Congressman Banks. Do you see that in the rookie campaigns, that they've got a 96-hour plan?
4: Yeah, all the, all the good ones do. I mean, B- Bill Owens, one of the best governors we've ever had in America, uh, coined it right. I mean, this is when you go out and get, a, get out the vote. And uh, this get-out-the-vote rally I was at with, in uh, Fort Clinton, Ohio, last night with J.D. Vance and Jared Majewski, it felt like a Donald Trump rally uh, with with hundreds of of uh, their supporters. And that, that's the whole point, Uh Take a yard sign when you go out the door, but then go get out the vote. Go go dial dial down into the the weeds of your precincts and and uh, and turn out the vote. And in an, in an election cycle like this, where we have the gra- the outpouring of grassroots support, uh, it's it's uh, it's making phone calls, it's knocking on doors, all the way up until the point where the polls close on Tuesday evening. So the, the good campaigns, the sophisticated campaigns, uh, they've they've got a They've got this under control, and, and it's, not, it's not too late for some of the other campaigns to dial in on this and, and make a difference too. but you've got, you got to have the momentum on your side, the excitement. And in, in all of these races, on our side, the momentum the, the momentum, excitement and the grassroots support, it clearly tilts in the Republican
2: favor. As we approach election day, there are a host of races that many, including yours truly did not think we're going to be competitive. Look at a few of those races today, beginning with General Don Boldock running in New Hampshire. His effort to oust the incumbent, Maggie Hassan has gotten traction, gained strength. It's a dead heat. General Boldock was a guest on my program. Tell people about yourself, because if anyone's listening in New Hampshire, General Boldock's going to make a great senator.
7: Well, I feel that my whole life has been centered around public service, whether it was, you know, working, as, uh, working on our family farm as a farmer, providing public service of food and dairy products and other things to um, to our community or a police officer in Laconia or a 33 plus year career in the military, um, you know, going from private to general. My whole life has been oriented on serving others. Uh, And I approve that. And I want to take this opportunity to serve my country and my state and Granite Staters in a different way. You know, this is about an outsider versus a career politician, someone who will be accessible versus someone who's inaccessible. And I will work for you, Uh, not special interests, not lobbyists, uh, not the wealthy political elite, because I'm not connected to any of them. I don't take their money. And I have been campaigning for two years in this state, every town and city, averaging four to five events a day. And uh, my opponent has been hiding. will have a debate. That debate is completely controlled by her. Forty-five people supporting her will be in, will be masked in, in the audience, uh, and, uh, you know, it will be one of these events that uh, is protected from the inside and outside. She doesn't have to answer tough questions about what she's done to Granite Staters, inflation, education, forcing people to choose between eating and eating. I will go there to serve you. I will be your ambassador and conduit. And I think I've proven that to Granite Staters. Most importantly, people that I'm going to have to work with in Washington, D.C. to get things done.
2: General Bulldog, I just was reading what John Ellis sent me. Forty-one percent of American families cannot make their budget. They're not able to provide food for the family, clothing for the kids, shoes for the soccer games. I don't know what kind of Maggie Hassan uh, uh, bodyguards are around her and how they've surrounded the debate, but facts are stubborn things. Is that, isn't, isn't that what people are talking about, the price of gas and food? Yes, everybody's talking about it except for Senator Hassan. He
7: avoids the subject at all costs. You know, yesterday she precluded New Hampshire Journal, uh, you know, Michael Graham from, from being at a press conference, and he is pressed. Uh, they let everybody else in that was going to write positive things about her, or, you know, were you know in her camp, uh, but not uh, you know other news outlets. I mean, this this is what is being done: hiding the truth from Granite Staters, avoiding the hard facts that Americans and Granite Staters are hurting in every way. Moms and dads making choices about eating and heating. Uh, eating less so the kids can eat more, skipping meals so their kids can have three meals. Uh, our education system is, is a complete disaster, and she receives the second highest amount of money uh, from the teachership. Uh, you know, everything that she's done, whether it is uh, voting with Joe Biden 100% on failed energy policies uh, to spending $5.2 trillion dollars and adding to the debt between March and August of this year, and then voting against common-sense bills placed on the table in Washington, D.C., you know, in August that would increase oil production, that would remove the 87,000 IRS agents and the $80 billion and invest that in the border and in the border patrol uh, on that border, securing both our southern and northern borders and other ports of entry and protecting our children from... Uh, this, this uh, opioid crisis, human trafficking, and illicit weapons trafficking. Everything she does is a disaster, and she has failed to account for it. And she does that by hiding and controlling every single public event. I bring Tulsi Gabbard to the state. I bring Nikki Haley to the state. She brings Cory Booker, someone who votes with her 100% of the time and has put granite staters in peril. Uh, and particularly our children, they're going to sit in the ballot box They're going to look at that ballot and they're going to go, my children, my livelihood, our future, our education, eating versus eating. All of this is going to double uh, and they're going to circle and fill in Don Baldick's name because they're going to realize at that moment that she is not going to fight for these things, that she is going to maintain the status quo and she is going to support special interests and lobbyists and political wealthy that drive a different agenda, agenda that hurts us. And they will see that once, you know, they're, they're going to go in there and they're going to vote and they're going to vote for their family. They're going to vote for their children. They're going to vote for their grandchildren. And she has absolutely, absolutely uh, no record of supporting that. She, during COVID, she locked us down. She masked our children. Uh, she closed up places of worship. She closed our education. Uh, She is a proponent of vaccinating our children from six months old uh, and up to go to school. Everything she has done during COVID, she hid from us um, and she didn't help us. And then she rolled right into two years of Joe Biden, 100 percent support for him that resulted in historic inflation and moms and dads choosing between heating and eating. And all that is going to get worse. And worst of all, she takes measures like uh, promoting the, the uh, you know, the strategic reserve and, and using that as a Band-Aid for what is a compound fracture in this country. I mean, the bone is through the skin. And she
2: wants to put a Scooby-Doo Band-Aid on it, uh, and it's not going to work. I want to thank you for your life. Of, you're a Mustang. I mean, you began as an enlisted man. You rose to sergeant, you became a commissioned officer, and you ended up being the head of Special Forces Africa Command. You
7: know, I'm a general. I grew up uh, fighting my way, uh, you know, to be successful and to serve others. Uh, You know, I've been in combat. I've
2: been out there. I know what it's like, and I will take the fight to Maggie Hassan on on that debate stage. I think you'll love the ad from the general that caught my attention this week. In the early days after 9-11, he went to Afghanistan to hunt
8: terrorists. General Don Baldick, a true American hero, one of the legendary lions of Kandahar. Baldick survived a 2,000-pound bomb explosion and a helicopter crash that almost killed him, until someone handed him a rifle to fight his way out. Ten tours of duty, five bronze stars, two purple hearts, The first general in American history to come forward with PTS, Baldick inspired thousands in uniform to get the critical help they need. General Don Baldick has made the motto of our state the story of his life. Now Baldick is on a new mission to take on the corrupt Washington career politicians in both parties and turn this great country around. General Don Baldick, a true
2: American hero for New Hampshire. I'm Don Baldick, and I approve this message. Coming up, another Senate race to watch. I think we can get Senator Warnock out of that office. I think he's shown that he don't deserve to be there. Herschel Walker challenges the radical Reverend Warnock when the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt returns in a moment.
9: Grounded in our distinctive Great Books curriculum, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy prepares students for exciting careers in politics who understand the relevance of America's founding principles to today's policy challenges. From our Southern California campus, we've sent over a 1,000 alumni across America and around the world. The application period for fall 2022 classes has begun. Find out more at pepperdine.edu. spp That's pepperdine.edu. spp
2: Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Politicos and pundits on both sides of the aisle have been watching the Senate contest in Georgia this cycle. Herschel Walker, the University of Georgia star and NFL running back, has challenged the smooth-talking leftist preacher, Raphael Warnock. Warnock, simply put, has used his leadership role to sow racial tension. I would not be a prophet if I did not tell you that racism is America's pre-existing condition. Walker was a guest on my program. What did you think when you heard Chuck Schumer concede that you are winning, not Raphael Warnick in Georgia, telling the president to get ready for bad news out of the peach State?
5: Well, what I was thinking is I wanted my team not to hear that. I wanted my team to think that we're still behind by 10 because I want to be in a decisive win and we don't go into a runoff. So I think we can get Senator Warnock out of that office. I think he's shown that he don't deserve to be there. After being there for two short years, everybody see that we got this high inflation, we got this border wide open, we got men and women's sports, he's, hot, he's raised our taxes, there's so many things that he's done that he don't deserve that seat from the, from the great people of Georgia. We're going to go after him because he's shown, as I said early on, he's that wolf in sheep's clothing, he's a hypocrite, that he don't care about the Georgia voters, he's voted with Chuck Schumann 96% of the time. They're not talking about that. They want to talk about everything else except his record which shows you who he is and what he's been doing. And he's trying to talk about everything else except that, but he's that guy that we can't trust to be in Washington to represent us.
2: Your friend and mentor Vince Dooley cut you an ad and then he died. I think it's so interesting the last thing he did was to cut an ad for Herschel Walker. He must have been a phenomenal man.
5: He was, and it was very, very sad. It's just honored that the family wanted me to continue to run the ad. That They said that was one thing that Coach Dula wanted me to do, is continue to run the ad because I was going to pull the ad. You know, Coach Dula's like a dad to me, Miss is like a mom, They're my family. You know, I don't think that could have been a Herschel Walker without Coach Dula, and I know it could not have been, So he means so much. He was an incredible man, that's done so much for so many people, and you talk about men and women's sports, he was one of the people that bring Title IX to Georgia. And my sister was one of the first people on the track team that went through Title IX. So I'm just thrilled to death with what all he's done for me, what all he's done for my family, what all he's done for so many people. And to lose someone like that is sad and it's very
2: painful. Out in California, we've been watching Lon Hee Chen, Stanford Law Professor, a Hoover Institute Fellow, and an old friend, perhaps your state controller in California. Lonnie joined my colleague Ed Crane on AM 1380, The Answer, in Sacramento.
8: I think you have a pretty good shot, Lonnie.
6: Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. We feel very good about the campaign, where we're situated, and uh, making the case to voters during the closing days.
8: I don't think you're uh, one to negatively campaign, but just for the record, I want to talk a little bit about your opponent, Malia Cohen. She's running for controller of the state. She foreclosed on her mortgage. She didn't pay her state taxes. I mean, that's not the person you want at the top of the list for paying the state's bills.
6: Well, that that's the basic point is that when you're thinking about this position, state controller, it's a position of public trust. It's a position overseeing the fourth largest economy in the entire world. And if you can't even balance your own checkbook, if you can't even manage your own finances, you really have no business being near ours. And I think that's the point. Uh, that media organizations have made across the state. They've examined my opponent's record, uh, and they've said, listen, her record is, a, is abysmal.
8: The the whole California budget system seems to be uh, kind of murky. I mean, one day we've got a, you know, a huge surplus. The next day we're worried about tax collections for next year. Uh, we don't know where this gas tax money goes. We don't really know where a lot of our, our spending goes. And uh, the media doesn't seem to want to open our eyes, but hopefully you will.
6: Well, that, that is the problem. You know, I, one of the things that I really keyed in on uh, the last couple of months, gas prices are still pretty high. I know that they've come down a little bit over the last couple of weeks, but still very high. And for many Californians, still an overwhelming burden. Why don't we audit the gas tax? Why don't we figure out where all that money goes so that people have a sense for where their tax dollars are being spent. We get told, well, we need to take the money to build better roads and better bridges, and then we look around and we see, unfortunately, in far too many parts of our state, that's not happening. So let's audit the gas tax. Let's figure out where that money is going. You know, A lot of your listeners, I'm sure, have heard about this $30 billion in unemployment insurance fraud that went out the door during the pandemic to fraudsters and people in Russia and China. We need to make sure that doesn't happen again. And that's something the controller can be on the front lines of, making sure that we have accountability for that money. But more importantly, that money doesn't go uh, uh, to places that it shouldn't be going.
8: What kind of ideas do you have to change business as usual at the Capitol?
6: Well, number one is we need to be providing Californians with strong transparency into where every dollar is spent. Right now, California is the only state in the country where we don't have complete line visibility into how money is spent. And that is... in in, in my mind, unacceptable. I mean, you've got a state like California that's as innovative and advanced as we are, and yet we don't know where the money goes. So step number one to change business as usual is let's get people the information. Regardless of what topic that they're interested in, regardless of what they want to hear more about, they should be able to see where every single dollar goes. That's item number one. Number two is we need a more aggressive auditor. Uh, That is one thing the controller can do, which is really to dig in on uh, things that are being spent, money that's being spent, and figuring out, hey, where's the money going and is it effective or not? Here's a specific example. We know $60 billion came into California from the federal government for our public schools. Where'd all that money go? Did it really go to improving classrooms and helping our kids and helping our teachers, or did it go somewhere else? Three-quarters of school districts are not providing required information to the controller's office on how much they're paying in benefits and, and and pay to their administrators. We need to have that information. We need an auditor who's going to go and actually do that. And that's what the controller can do, be a really aggressive voice in trying to determine where the money's going and how it's actually being spent.
8: You remember Donald Trump's uh, call to drain the swamp in Washington. He didn't succeed. I think he didn't quite know how Washington worked. Do you see that you're kind of going into a swamp in California, that it's been Democrat- Uh, controlled for so long and that even the people who are going to be in your office may not see things the way you do
6: well here's the fundamental problem uh when you have a bunch of people who are there to go along to get along and i mean all of the statewide elected officials right now they see their primary responsibility as to collaborate with one another and help each other out politically and never to criticize one another that's not what a controller is supposed to do a controller is supposed to go up there and ask tough questions and make sure that there's accountability so yeah there, there is a, a a i call it a clubby mentality you mm-hmm. know some some have used the analogy of a swap i think that's probably appropriate for a lot of what's happening there but i i think the reality is we need to go in and ask tough questions and demand answers and i don't think someone's done that for a really long time so that that is going to be a priority of mine and i'll just say also in terms of the actual folks at the controller's office Fourteen hundred people uh, work at the controller's office, and I believe that the vast majority of them want uh, to help people in the state. You know, I've actually talked to some folks in the office, and they said to me, "Gosh, it'd be great if we can just audit again. If we can just do our job again." That's the remarkable thing. So, I actually think we'll have great uh, partnerships. We'll have people who want to work hard for the people of the state of California, and, and if not, then you know I'm going to be in a position to make sure everyone understands who is and isn't doing their job.
8: There will be a new sheriff in town, as they say. Let's hope so. All right.
6: No, I can tell people the most important thing. I'm sure a lot of your guests have been saying that people just need to get out and vote. Yes. That's the most important thing, because if they don't do that, then none of this is
2: possible. Coming up.
10: The Democrat Party has been hijacked by the far left. And that's why we've been able to take a Biden plus 20 district uh, to dead even one
2: week before the midterms. Matt Jacobs, when the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt returns in a moment. Stay with us.
11: Hey, everybody, Charlie Kirk here. We've been working very hard on an amazing new docu-series called Border Battle. It chronicles the horrifying conditions on America's southern border. What you are going to see in Border Battle will blow your mind. It's amazing. First-hand interviews, incredible commentary, straight up on the front lines. We've worked very hard on this from Turning Point USA, and we are exposing the border crisis, available exclusively on SalemNow.com, produced by Turning Point USA, available at SalemNow.com.
2: Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt, brought to you in partnership with our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. We're going to stay in California with our election coverage today to cover one more race. California's Congressional District number 26 is yet another one that was not supposed to be competitive, was not even supposed to be close. Julia Brownlee, the Democrat incumbent, has a perfect record. She's voted with Nancy Pelosi for the Biden agenda 100% of the time. Matt Jacobs, the GOP nominee, has roots in the 26th, and he's done the sort of leather shoe campaigning to get through to voters willing to consider a change. Jacobs was a guest of Jennifer Horn and Grant Stitchfield on AM 870, The Answer, in
12: Los Angeles. All of the the insiders from our corporate office were coming around. They're going, did you see, are you hearing about Matt Jakes? Yes, we love him. He's a great candidate. You really have been burning it up. And that's because of the story that was in Politico about your district getting a whole lot closer, like within one percentage point over the last week or two. So tell us how this campaign is going for you.
10: Sure. Well, NBC News just reported we're in a, quote, dead even race now. And that's not according to my poll or any Republican polls. That's according to the internal polls of my far-left opponent, Julia Brownlee. And I'll tell you, a lot of the so-called experts nationally I didn't think we had a chance uh, two years ago. But we worked hard. We spoke to everyone in the district. We listened, more importantly. And while my opponent and the far-left focuses on issues that no one really cares about too much, uh, we've been talking about record high inflation and six dollar gas and, you know, eggs that cost 40 percent more than last year and skyrocketing crime. And you know what? Uh, Republicans obviously uh, know where we have our eye on the ball. But so the independents and even some rational Democrats rank and file JFK type Democrats are realizing that the, the Democrat Party has been hijacked by the far left. And that's why we've been able to take a Biden plus 20 district. Uh, to dead even one week before the midterms. All right, so my curiosity on this is what is the National Party doing to help you now? Because though we're in California, a California congressional district, that I've said a million times on this program, is just as important as a deep red Oklahoma district. It's about numbers in the House. Is the National Party helping you by sinking money into your campaign? What candidates have to do is get the ball to the five-yard line and then – the National Party uh, comes in and helps and that's what ha- what's happened here um, so we've raised two and a half million dollars ourselves uh, bolstered by a couple hundred uh, several hundred thousand dollars from from the National Party uh, my team has outraised uh, this 30-year government office holder ten-year congressional incumbent Julia Brownlee personally and look she's gonna have a, a spending advantage she she blew through four million dollars uh, Emily's list super PAC Flossie Alliance Super PAC came in and dumped a boatload of money here. And I got to tell you this, um, Julia Brownlee, my opponent, leads all Democrat House members in the country in terms of donations received recently. So, shows, shows She's hit the panic button. She's
12: struggling. Anytime.
10: But uh, uh, we're going to do it with what we have. I'm grateful for the uh, support we've gotten, uh, and it's going to be enough because they know we can win here. And when we take back a seat like this, In a district that the left believed was deep blue territory, it's going to reverberate nationwide much in the same way I think that uh, Lee Zeldin's uh, victory will reverberate when he takes back the governor's mansion in New York.
12: And you realize that you were kind of running as this outsider candidate. And Matt, the word on you has been great from the beginning. I know we met early on in this process because people were just really happy with the way your candidacy was running. You're a federal prosecutor. You know what to do about crime. You know how to how to fix things. And I think Julia Brownlee and some of these Democrats are just resting on their laurels. They don't actually deliver for constituents. When you're out walking around in your district, and I know that you've been canvassing a lot lately, what are you hearing? Are you hearing that people are just just disappointed, left behind by the party or by the person serving them in this district specifically?
10: You know, it's a combination. They're incredibly uh, disappointed in in Brownlee's leadership. I mean, she or lack thereof. She's been in office, like I said, 30 years. She is as partisan as it's possible to be, both 100 percent of the time with Pelosi and Biden. And here's the thing. She doesn't listen to the community. She spends most of her time in D.C. We've We've knocked on over 130,000 doors, made over 250,000 phone calls to people. I personally have knocked thousands of doors. I speak Spanish fluently, and I've gone to uh, literally thousands of households, registered Democrats who requested ballots in Spanish. And this is how I approach them. I say, hello, sorry for the bother. Um, What's your biggest issue? And you know what they say 95-plus percent of the time? Price of gas, price of, of food skyrocketing crime and deteriorating schools uh, where, where ideology has replaced STEM subjects, etc. So, I mean, it, it's about the hard work on the ground and I'm not a career politician. I'm not a politician. I devoted my life to serving the country and protecting the community and I never wanted to leave that job, honestly, Jen. But uh, uh, I just felt like the country was going in the wrong direction and was have been taken there by, by far left radical uh, politicians.
2: Coming up, New York Governor Kathy Hochul made it clear in her debate with Lee Zeldin. She does not get the crime problem destroying New York City. I don't know why that's so important. We will hear from Lee Zeldin when the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt returns in a moment.
9: As the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy enters our 25th anniversary year, we've remained committed to a single truth of world history, that ideas have consequences. To understand these ideas and their impact on today's politics and to test them quantitatively requires the unique curriculum we offer on our Malibu, California campus. Apply now for fall classes at Pepperdine.edu SPP. That's Pepperdine.edu SPP.
2: Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. We're going to shift back to the East Coast with an election you need to pay attention to on Tuesday night. If it's early in the evening and you see coverage of Lee Zeldin leading in his effort to defeat incumbent Governor Kathy Hochul, that will be quite an indicator of the sort of election this will be, though the votes won't be counted for days thereafter. It's New York, you know. Hochul, you remember, assumed the office in Albany after the resignation of the horribly discredited and scandal-plagued Andrew Cuomo. Huckel just does not feel the weight of crime and inflation and the related issues plaguing the residents of the Empire State. That became clear in the one and only debate between Hokel and Zeldin. Anyone who
1: commits a crime under our laws, especially with the change we made to bail, has consequences. I don't know why that's so important
2: Lee Zeldin is a current congressman from New York's first congressional district. And he's the GOP nominee in a virtual tie with Hokel in the latest poll from Trafalgar. Zeldin joined my friend Mike
13: Gallagher. When you had this debate moment with your opponent, Kathy Hochul, and she stood up there and spun this wild conspiracy theory that there's not really a crime problem, that that we're just data deniers when we're concerned about crime, you had to be thinking that she gave you a Christmas gift a few weeks early.
1: When she says that she doesn't understand why this is so important to me, she's saying that she doesn't understand why this is so important to millions of other New Yorkers who are talking about why they want safer streets, why they want to support law enforcement more, why they want district attorneys to be actually enforcing the law. They don't want to be passing pro-criminal laws like Castles bail up in Albany. And when she says that I'm a data denier She's ignoring purposefully all of the many, many different areas of major crimes that have gone up year after year. And then if you look at it over the course of the last few years since cashless bail has gone into effect, if you were to compare 2022 to, say, 2019, there are certain numbers that are even more stark. So she's also alienating herself from the electorate because New Yorkers don't want to be lectured that, there's nothing to see here, look away, this is just perception. What they want is for a governor to say that they understand what's wrong, these are their ideas to fix it, and they're committed to doing absolutely everything in their power to take back our streets. And they're not getting that with Kathy Hochul, and she's basically telling everybody that herself.
13: I had a long conversation last night with a lifelong Democrat, a New Yorker, who is voting for you, and the reason he's voting for you is because he said Lee Zeldin reminds me of an era where New York became the safest big city in America, where there was an incredible pride in uh, in keeping New Yorkers safe. Crime, of course, is surging terribly in New York and all over the country. But I was so, I know it's purely anecdotal, but hearing a lifelong New Yorker be very, very enthusiastic about voting for you gives me hope. And and it, it, perhaps it's why you're leading right now in the polls. Do we Should we be very worried, because I am, about an, an overconfidence right now, six days before the election, because I don't want people to be complacent, and I don't want to be, I don't want people to stay home?
1: No, actually, I think it would be best to campaign like we're behind no matter what. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Despite a Trafalgar poll coming out saying we're up by one, and even if some other poll came out and said the same thing today, It just is so important that everybody everywhere is doing everything in their power and taking nothing for granted. Friends, family, neighbors, strangers, coworkers, social media, emails, texts, word of mouth. We need people spending all day, every day for the next six days until the polls close at 9 p.m., helping us to get our vote out. Because this is still New York. There's still a lot more Democrats than Republicans. And, And the good news is, and you got this anecdotally. The great news is that every single day while I'm out there, people tell me, Lee, I'm a lifelong Democrat. I've always voted Democrat. But this year I'm voting for you. But we cannot be overconfident. We certainly cannot be complacent. We can't afford it. The good news is we have all the momentum on our side, all the energy on our side. We have the issues on our side. But we really have to close this out strong.
13: You made such an important point about how many more democrats there are than republicans it is after all new york the fact that you're ahead in the in in the polls is just astounding but i gotta believe that democrats recognize the the insidiousness of a rogue district attorney like alvin bragg democrats recognize the insanity of cashless bail democrats are experiencing crime in new york firsthand they they, they see what's what what new york is going through you're going to need you're going to need a lot of democrats and independents to vote for you in order to win.
1: Absolutely. There are democrats who feel like the party has gone too left. Democrats who are not happy about weak DA's who let violent criminals run free. There are democrats who feel like there needs to be balance. Democrats who pride themselves on being ticket splitters. There are democrats out there by the way who register democrat because that's what you do in New York City. They want their vote to count. And it's rare that they get general elections where their vote counts. What they want to do is be able to vote in a primary for the person they perceive to be the normal option if they are presented with a normal option. So, by the way, there are Democrats who consider themselves to be conservatives. Uh, There are a lot of people out there who want to feel safe walking the streets and riding the subways. They don't want to have to fear being pushed in front of an oncoming subway car. Maybe they own a small business that's getting looted. I mean, basically, I mean, I hear from gas station owners. I hear from bodega owners. A lot of them are Democrats. Their employees are Democrats. People just come in, take inventory. Sometimes it just happens you the know, same person multiple times in a week. These folks do it like it's nothing, as if they're entitled to do it. And then you as the owner or the employee, you, you don't know what to do because here you have a local prosecutor who isn't. prosecuting all this stuff. So uh, all this adds up to New Yorkers deciding that in order to save their city, if they live in New York City, in order to save their state, they have to vote for us. They can't afford more of the status quo, more of the same. And with all apologies to Prince, I think that New York is ready to party like it's 1993 (laughs) or 1994 right now.
13: You know, uh, I hope you saw the article in the Washington Examiner about how Kathy Hochul has, has completely uh, almost replicated a mistake that Terry McAuliffe made. Remember when Terry McAuliffe, his monumental gaffe, when he accidentally told the truth and revealed that he neither understood nor cared about parents' deep anxiety over Virginia schools indoctrinating kids with extreme left-wing propaganda on race and gender. He said out loud, I don't understand what the big deal is, Kathy Hochul said to you, I don't understand what the big deal is about locking criminals up. Could this have been that big moment where she's she learned from Terry McAuliffe how to squander a blue state? Yeah, well, it was a massive mistake. And quite honestly, if she was on top
1: of her game and if she was focused on what matters most to New Yorkers, she could have
11: taken what I said to her as a hint. Coming up. You know, for the first time in our nation's history, Democrats control everything in Washington, Albany, and New York City
2: all at once. And they have created a mess. Mike Lawler in the final segment of the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt.
12: Hi, I'm Georgine Rice. This week in the Christian Outlook, sponsored by the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. As the nation approaches Election Day, politics really is personal.
7: The number one value to Americans today... It's their
12: family. And families are feeling it. I've not seen this kind of intensity since the Vietnam War. The issue of education has parents fired up.
11: You've made it clear you do
2: not listen to parents.
12: We'll look inside the curriculum from a woman who stepped up to do something about it.
2: There's a fill-in sheet asking the students to go over some things in class, and it talks about hormone therapy and gender-affirming surgeries. So that is basically changing the body, taking cross-sex
12: hormones. Be sure to join us and visit our website at christianoutlook.com.
2: Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. We'll close out the program today with a look at one more Eastern Time Zone race that will help you interpret what's happening on election night. In New York's 17th Congressional District, Republican Michael Lawler, a current member of the New York State Assembly, is challenging Sean Patrick Maloney. He is chairman of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. The chairman of the DCC is in trouble. The Forbes headline sums up what we're seeing. Sean Patrick Maloney risked being the first D.C.C. chair to lose the seat in 40 years and latest signed a midterm trouble for Democrats. Again, that's Forbes magazine. Lawler joined Kevin McCullough on AM 970, The Answer, in New York City.
9: I know that you've had some pretty exciting people come uh, through your uh, area in recent days. You appeared with Glenn Youngkin, who won the come-out-of-nowhere race in Virginia in 21 and uh, someone who may be the next governor of New York, Lee Zeldin. Talk to me about uh, your event. Absolutely. We had a a great event over in Westchester
11: County. We were joined by Governor Youngkin and and our soon-to-be governor, Lee Zeldin. Uh, The enthusiasm is real. You know, the Democrat, my opponent, Sean Patrick Maloney, had former President Bill Clinton uh, come in and do a rally over the weekend uh, in Rockland County. And at the same time, I held a Back the Blue rally in support of law enforcement, and we had five times the amount of people at our rally as as they had at theirs. The enthusiasm in the district is real, and we have seen it uh, from the beginning uh, when I announced at the end of May. People are excited. They want change. They want balance. You know, for the first time in our nation's history, Democrats control everything in Washington, Albany, and New York City all at once, and they have created a mess. And people are frustrated by it.
9: And your opponent is widely known as one of the least visible uh, members of Congress. In fact, you have a hard time knowing if he ever shows up for work, and yet he's been there long enough. He's, you know, assumed some leadership and so forth. What will the effective difference be if Mike Lawler represents the 17th district as opposed to uh, Sean Patrick Maloney?
11: Well, we've seen it uh, firsthand in this race. You know, he he has spent the entirety of the campaign gallivanting around the globe. He was in Paris, Geneva, and London just a few weeks ago, raising money for Nancy Pelosi and the DCCC, while I've been out campaigning doing six, seven, eight events a day, every day since the end of May. You know, for me, this is about representing the people that elect me. And I will uh, be fully committed to not only uh, being their voice in Washington, but being present in the district and responding to the needs and concerns because I've done it. I've done it as a member of the state assembly in New York. We're out there every day. My staff is out there every day. We are hyper-focused on solving the problems that our constituents are dealing with. And Sean Maloney has failed, and people see it. And they recognize you know, somebody who's voting 100 percent of the time with Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden, Uh, is not committed to solving the problems that our constituents are facing, and and people are really struggling right now.
2: Thank you for joining us today. You've heard it from me a number of times now. Please don't watch what unfolds on Tuesday without your vote being part of the tally in the final count. Be sure to vote. If you haven't signed up for our podcast yet, why not take a minute to do so? Go to townhallreview.com. Special thanks to executive producer Russell Shubin, producers David Bouchon, Jacob Ordunia, Michael Cook, Tim Gantner, Adam Ramsey, and of course, Dwayne Patterson. Let me say thanks once again to our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. I'm Hugh Hewitt.